afternoon, everyone. Welcome back. We are here with episode 7. We got a little bit to talk about today before the Mets kick off their homestand to start the second half. They just got back from their road trip where they were 5-4. and four. They won 2-3 in Miami, swept both games against the Twins, and then head to, the San, head to San Francisco, which was absolutely awful. So we're going to dive right into it. We're going to start right with that. I want to apologize first off for being late, obviously, but we're here anyway, so that doesn't matter. So we're going to start uh, briefly with the series with the Marlins. Mets opened the second half, winning 2-3 in Miami, outscoring Miami 14-12, and also saw Rob Zucano finally come alive. Edwin Diaz had probably his best stuff of the season, and Jeff McNeil continued to produce offensively. He was 4 for 12 with two RBIs. He hit his eighth homer of the year and his average was up to 349, which still is the highest in all of baseball. Right now it's 339. At the time it was 349 and his OPS rose to 925. <coughs> when the <coughs> excuse me. McNeil is unbelievable. I really can't say enough about him. I mean, the way he he's one of those pure contact hitters in baseball that you rarely see anymore, and it's nice to see that, and he certainly has the capability. He could win the first batting title for the Mets since Jose Reyes, and would also be the second time, just the second time in franchise history that a Met would win the batting title. Uh, he continued to hit the rest of the road trip. Mets had, or went to Minnesota, excuse me, for two games with the Twins, they outscored Minnesota 17-6, including a 14-run performance last Wednesday. The bullpen finally was locking down games, and then the Mets were heading west for a huge series with the Giants. Why was it huge? Because San Francisco has been on fire lately. They're over 500 for the first time this year. It was a true test to see if the Mets were really getting back into it. Coming out of the break, they were... Um, four and one before they had or went to San Francisco and then when they came to San Francisco it was came to a screeching halt I mean the Mets lost three of four all three losses were extra inning walk-off losses the first game went into 16 innings that was if for those of you who remember Dom Smith's error that led to the loss in that one and then in game two was a classic one nothing shutout and then the last game of the series Mike Yastrzemski hit a walk-off solo home run the Giants would win three of four of the series and the Mets are surprised considering they outscored San Francisco yet they still lost three or four but now the, the Mets don't have to see them again this year hopefully they Mets are putting the Giants in their review mirror other key notes that we had during that road trip. The biggest takeaway in that I wanted to talk about was the bullpen. To the um this was as of yesterday or after Sunday night's game, excuse me. Even though they didn't play yesterday. The Mets bull the Mets bullpen has a two point five six ERA since the All Star break, which is the best in the National League. Their overall pitching combined is one of the best in all of baseball since the All Star break. So why are the Mets 5-4 and four coming out of the break if their pitching's been unbelievable? They're just running into bad luck. 
the offense is hitting, the starters are getting deeper, the bullpen has been better. It's just that, you know, with something like Dom Smith or, you know, Ball's just not – I mean, they all thought that Mike Ustremski's home run was going to be a flyout. So it's just the ball not dropping their way, and that's what they need. That's really what they do need for things to start going their way. And as we transition tonight, they open a th- uh, series, three-game series with the Padres and then three games with the Pirates all at home before they head on the road. We're getting closer and closer to the trade deadline as we transition into that. One week from tomorrow is the trade deadline. Some big names are on the board. <clears throat> you got guys like Marcus Stroman, Mike Miner out there, potentially Zach Wheeler. Uh, Nicholas Castellanos, his name has been brought up in some rumors. It's uh, The way the Mets handle the deadline should be very interesting. You know, obviously, all the buzz is around Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler is currently on the IL with shoulder issues, but he threw live batting practice and felt no complaints, so he's expected to be activated on Friday against the Pirates and make at least one start before the All-Star break, or excuse me, the trade deadline. But he also is not going to bring the best return of all the pitchers that are available. Now when I say that I mean considering the year he's had and he is prone to injuries um, he may not if you're the Mets and you trade him he might not be getting as much value in return as um, you know Toronto would with a guy like Stroman or uh, the Tigers would get with Matthew Boyd and Shane Green. So but the Mets are they do seem amped to deal him. Wheeler going into his free agent year. Uh, other guys they intend, or it sounds like they're intending to trade are Todd Frazier and Jason Vargas. Uh, Noah Syndergaard's been brought up in rumors, but honestly, I wouldn't pay too much attention to those. I don't think that anything is going to happen there. But what, um, Zach Wheeler on the year, he's been eh, I would say. Um, he hasn't been great, but he hasn't been awful. He's performed for the most part, but there have been t- he's an innings eater. I that's the way I'd like to think of him. Uh, he'll get you deep into games and get to the bullpen. He's six and six on the year with a four six nine ERA and 119 innings pitched. He's also got 130 strikeouts and a WAR of 1.5 on the year. Uh, his ERA plus, which we talked about in a previous episode, uh, which el- essentially eliminates the ballpark factor. His ERA plus on the year is a nine is 97. He's got a FIP, which we'll talk about shortly, of 3.67 on the year. So I mean, he's not having the best of years, but he's not having an awful year. Um, it's a lot of staying healthy for him. He said he felt. After throwing his live BP uh, earlier this week, he said that it's his arms feels terrific. So I take that as a good sign that when he comes back, he's going to be absolutely he's going to be uh, the second half of last year Zach Wheeler that we all saw. That was absolutely amazing. Um, next, we are going to talk about FIP. So you just heard me mention it regarding Zach Wheeler. 
a lot of the new stats coming out today are pretty complicated, or I shouldn't say complicated, but they're not very common to people, but they do tell a lot. So FIP stands for Fielding Independent Pitching. Essentially what it is, it measures what a player's ERA would look like if they had experienced league average. I'm taking this directly from Fangraphs. If they had league average results on balls in play and league average timing. So essentially, it, assess it assesses a pitcher's talent and how effective they are by looking at what they can control. They can control strikeouts, things like walks, hit by pitches, home runs. You know, it's not going to take into account, you know, guys getting on base because of errors or defensive miscues. It strips out the role of defense, um, luck, sequencing, and it's a more stable way to show how a pitcher actually performs. You know, it's got a really complex formula, like a lot of these um, sabermetric analytical stats. But I wanted to look at um, how the Mets fared in terms of fit. You know, so DeGrom, this is among qualified starters. DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Wheeler are the only Mets starters listed. on. This is all according to Fangraphs. Max Scherzer leads the way. He's got a FIP of 2.02 on the year, which is absolutely phenomenal. Jacob DeGrom currently sits 7th. Zach Wheeler, or excuse me, I'll go back a little bit. Jacob DeGrom's FIP on the year is 3.05. Zach Wheeler sits 20th, just behind Marcus Stroman and Matthew Boyd, uh, who are also going to be big trade targets in the next week, with a 3.67, and right behind him, also with a 3.67, is teammate Noah Syndergaard. So, um, with FIP, the thing is, you're not considering the defense or what's going on behind them. You're considering what they can control. And it's not as complicated as it may sound. So when I see uh, the Mets have three guys in the top 20 in FIP among all qualified starters in baseball. When I see that, I if I'm a Mets fan, I'm very happy to see that. Only the... I just briefly had a chance to look at the leaderboard list. Only the Dodgers have at least three teammates. Excuse me, the Dodgers and the Nationals have at least three teammates in the top 20. The Nationals have Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin, and then the Dodgers have Hingen, Ryu, Walker Bueller, and Clayton Kershaw. So, and the Dodgers, of course, have the best record in baseball, and the Nationals have are in the wild card spot right now trying to chase down Atlanta. Uh, the Mets with having it half their over half their rotation regarded as some of the best in baseball is gr a great thing to see. Um, the Nationals and Dodgers of course have those three guys a little bit higher than um, the Mets three. But if I'm a fan and I see that when I learn these, or at least I'm trying to learn these newer or more modern stats, when I see them and I see how well 
the Mets staff fares against the rest of the league, it makes me skeptical to trade a guy like Zach Wheeler or a guy, definitely a guy like Noah Syndergaard. Jacob DeGrom, obviously, the Mets are going to be needing to get a guy like Mike Trout in return. But, you know, with guys that have been brought up in rumors with Wheeler and Syndergaard, a lot of what they're running into is a lot of what the Mets are running into in general, which is just bad luck. You know, and that's what FIP is. It takes away the bad luck. And if you're the Mets, you have three starters that are in the top 20 in a stat that is regarded as the one of the best stats to measure how effective a pitcher is. That's got to make you feel pretty good and think that if you were to trade them, you could get a very nice return for them. But if you were to keep them, you'd have a great top half of the rotation. And we've seen what Steven Matz can do. He's been terrific in his last start. The big question would be who would the Mets' fifth starter be. But that rota- the rota- assuming the Mets would keep Wheeler, that rotation could potentially be one of the best in all of baseball. Based on, not only based on FIP, but based on just the general talent level of that roster. And if with a guy like Vargas out, it'd be interesting to see who that fifth starter would be, whether they give it to Walker Lockett, or maybe they bring up Anthony Kane, give him a shot for it, or uh, Drew Gagno's been starting games for Syracuse down to AAA. Maybe he gets a shot at the fifth starter spot. So... A lot of things can factor into that, but a lot of that also depends if the Mets do trade Zach Wheeler. I personally don't want them to. I don't think they should. I think he's too effective to trade. But if the Mets were to trade him, I would expect uh, major league talent or high, or not the highest end prospects, but higher end prospects I would have a fairly high yet reasonable asking price if I'm the Mets trying to trade Wheeler considering what I've gotten out of him what I've seen from him and what he can contribute to a team if a team can pick up Zach Wheeler that's an instant boost to your rotation you know you're not getting some guy that's gonna protect that I mean you would use consider him a rental you could But at the same time, also, Zach Wheeler is the type of pitcher that you'd want on your staff. He would definitely be, uh, if you're a team that doesn't have a middle or bottom of the rotation starter, he's perfect to add to your roster. And certainly, teams like the Yankees and Red Sox have been in contact. Uh, Atlanta's been looking around for pitching as well as Minnesota. So it should be, and Milwaukee's back again, just like they were in 2015, interested in Wheeler. So... Should be an interesting direction to see where the Mets go regarding Wheeler. Uh, The last bit of kind of a quicker episode today. The last bit I wanted to talk about is the AL Cy Young race. This is going to be our MLB wrap up for today. Uh, Specifically, the AL Cy Young race, I want to look at two guys. I want to look at Garrett Cole, their teammates actually. Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander. For those of you who didn't know, last night against the A's, Garrett Cole had 11 strikeouts. His sixth strikeout of the night was his 200th of the year. It took him just 133 and a third innings, and he was the second fastest pitcher to ever reach 200 Ks in a single season. Only Randy Johnson took fewer innings to get to 200 Ks in the year, and that took him 130 and two-thirds innings. 
Um, Garrett Cole has been absolutely very under the radar. And I say under the radar because when he's got Justin Verlander also with on his team, he's kind of going to get a little bit overshadowed by Verlander. But he now leads the majors by a very um, healthy margin. He's got 205 strikeouts. He's the only one over 200 now. He struck out 37.9% of opposing hitters. That um, His strikeout percentage leads the majors by a long margin. Um, the aver- To put that in perspective, at the average strikeout rate uh, among MLB pitchers this year, among starters, is 22.2%. Garrett Cole is at a 37.9%. Uh, he would rank. This is one stat. This is according to CBS Sports that I find absolutely amazing. He would Garrett Cole would rank 33rd in strikeouts this season, just behind Jose Barrios, just ahead of the potential NL Cy Young and Hinjin Ryu, if you counted just his strikeouts from his four seam fastball. He has 113 of his 205 strikeouts of with his four seam fastball. That alone would rank 33rd in the majors among qualified starters. That is absolutely insane. And that's not even all of it. Um, since joining the A's, he's put up an ERA+, plus, which again we talked about, uh, eliminates the ballpark factor of 144 and a strikeout-to-walk ratio of 4.91 in 331 innings. And going into his free agent year this year, he's certainly going to be getting a nice payday going into 2020. Um, He's coming off of six years since his last free agent um, listing, I guess, for lack of a better word. Mostly to do with how dominant he's been. He's been um, kept under wraps before he was traded from Pittsburgh to Houston. Pittsburgh, again, was very hesitant to move him, but when they did move him, it was the time for it. And Garrett Cole has been absolutely performed for Houston. Um, One thing that is common to see now is the spin rate. A number of teams are looking for high spin rates in today's game. That's just the way it is. Back in 2017, which was his final year with the Pirates, Garrett Cole was in the 33rd percentile when it came to the spin rate on his fastball. Last year, he went up to the 83rd percentile on his four-seamer. Just because of the spin rate. And now he's in the 95th percentile this year. His curveball uh, was one of the top spin rates even when he was in Pittsburgh, and now it's pretty much at the top now. He's his stuff is absolutely disgusting. It really is. Um, to go a little bit more into it, he's eleven and five on the year with a three point zero three ERA in twenty two games. He's pitched one hundred thirty six two thirds innings. He's allowed forty six runs. Struck out two hundred five. For that, to put that in perspective, he struck out two hundred seventy six last year, and has. ERA plus of 148 and a FIP of 3.01 on the year and a whip of exactly one. So, 
I definitely would be giving my support if I was the people that vote for that. Or if, if I, as I'm voting for this, I, I would give Garrett... I honestly think Garrett Cole <coughs> is the AL Cy Young. Considering what he has contributed to Houston, and even though he does have Justin Verlander overshadowing him, I still think he's certainly deserving. He was an all-star last year with Houston, all-star this year with Houston, finished fifth in the Cy Youngs last year. His best finish in the Cy Young was fourth, which was back in 2015 in Pittsburgh where he won almost 20 games. Certainly, he is, in my eyes, the front runner over Justin Verlander. Now, to counteract that, Justin Verlander has had a terrific year to his name. He's 12 and 4 on the year with a 2.99 ERA and 138 and two-thirds innings pitched. He's allowed 20, or excuse me, 46 earned runs, 28 homers, and has struck out 172 batters, and has an ERA plus of 150 and a FIP of 4.08. Now that FIP is extremely high. Now I shouldn't say extremely high. It's not horrendous. It's not good. For someone like Justin Verlander. Now, 4.08 isn't even in the top 30 in baseball. Garrett Cole's. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Garrett Cole's 3.01 is near the top in all of baseball. Justin Verlander doesn't even crack the top 30 in terms of FIP. So, he does lead the league, however, in home runs allowed. Uh as well as whip and hits per nine innings. He's allowed 28 homers this year, a whip of .84, which would be a er, which would be the second best of his career if the season ended today. Back in 2017, he was a .65. Uh, he has a 5.7 hits per nine. Was a er, has been a Cy Young Award winner, I should say. Was an all-star the last two years. Finished second in the Cy Young voting last year to Blake Snell. He does have uh, the pitching triple crown. He's been an MVP, Rookie of the Year. He's got an ERA title. He's got a World Series title to his name. Certainly, he has the reputation. He's got a war of 4.1 on the year. He has the reputation and the numbers to be a Cy Young this year in the American League. But I would certainly throw a lot of my credit towards Garrett Cole and what he's done with Houston. I do think Houston would still be one of the best teams in baseball without Garrett Cole. But I certainly think that this, when it comes to playoff time, having Garrett Cole be as dominant as he's been this year puts, that him, puts them well over the top. And I certainly would consider them to be favorites in the American League along with Minnesota. So to wrap it up, that's going to do it for episode 7 of the Our City Podcast. <clears throat> we, talk, we talked about FIP, we talked about the AL Cy Young race, Zach Wheeler. The Mets coming out of the second half tonight. They are opening up against the Padres. Jason Vargas will take on Chris Paddock. That should be a good one. Chris Paddock versus Pete Alonzo. Looking forward to seeing that. We will be back probably Monday next week. I'm assuming, or I'm thinking, I should say, we'll be back Monday with episode eight. We'll talk about this homestand. The Mets will have some interleague action following that as they head to Chicago to take on the White Sox. 
Uh, lots of good stuff to be talking about. On Monday, it will be the 29th, so probably we'll um, do last-minute trade deadline situations just around the league in general, not just with the Mets. And then Thursday, we will do a wrap-up. Uh, that following Thursday, so August 1st, we will do a entire trade deadline episode, talk about all the moves that were made, and talk about how the Mets fared and how the rest of the season is going to play out. So if you don't remember, for those of you who don't remember, the August 1st, or excuse me, August, I forget when the exact date was, August 31st, non-waiver trade deadline or whatever it is, that is no longer a thing. There is just the July 31st trade deadline. So a lot of moves are going to be made within the next week. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, tell your friends about us, comment, like, share, all that good stuff. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know how we're doing. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope to see you next week for Episode 8 of the R-City Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Let's go Mets.